Welcome to For What It's Worth, a podcast from Raymond James, designed to help you plan, invest, and live smarter. Hi, listeners, and thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Paige Lunson. We're glad to have you with us. You can find this episode and more for what it's worth on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and RaymondJames.com. According to FBI data, the potential total loss from cybercrimes in the U.S. grew from about $7 billion in 2021 to more than $10 billion last year. It's more important than ever to keep a watchful eye out for scams, both high and low tech, and to take precautions to protect your identity and your wealth. In this episode, we're going to talk about one dangerous form of fraud in particular, email compromise. And we're also going to talk through some general tips for helping yourself and your loved one stay away from scammers. To share her insights, I'm really pleased to welcome Krista Farr. Raymond James, Director of Anti-Money Laundering and Financial Crimes Management. Krista, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Paige. Thank you for having me. We are going to talk a little bit about email compromise, this one particular form of fraud. What does it mean if your email's been compromised? It means that a hacker has access to your email account, to every email that you've sent, that you've received, all of your contacts, all of your folders, everything about you that is in those emails they have access to. So I typically tell people to think about everything that you've written, everything that you've received, all of your personal information, all of your financial information, um, and it is completely open to them. That's a frightening prospect. It really is. Um, I tell people to just really think about what is in your email that may make a fraudster or a scammer or a hacker, whatever we're going to refer to them as during this this conversation, because they're really interchangeable terms. Think about what they will read in there. What is it going to make them think? Are they going to see an email to your advisor? Are they going to see an email to your bank? Are they going to see emails between you and your children or your family members? And then try to think kind of outside of the box. How are they going to be able to use that against you? Can you take us through how this scam might typically play out? How does it begin? What are they after? How does it resolve? So their main goal is just to take your money. Um, A hacker will always, you know, used to, we we used to think about hackers and email compromise as some kid sitting in his garage, messing around on his computer keyboard. And that's not really the case anymore. Hackers, this is their job. Um, This is what they're doing for a living. They are very sophisticated. They have tools that will scan your email inbox to pick up certain types of keywords like Uh, financial institutions, bank names, account numbers, things like that. So they get all of those pieces of information. Then they will start looking for family members. They will start looking for your interests. They will take all of those pieces of information to build a profile about you that will help them determine algorithmically um, what is the easiest way to scam you out of your money. And that sounds like that could be a time-intensive process, right? They could be sitting in the background watching unseen for quite a while. They could. The tools themselves work pretty quickly if they if they are able to ascertain very early on that maybe you may be a high net worth client, um, they will be able to gauge exactly where you fit in, in their eco structure um, to determine what is going to be their big hit 
for you? Is it going to be that house that you're planning on buying, that $10 million house you're planning on buying in Lake Tahoe? Or is it going to be that you're buying your kid, you know, their first car and you're only wanting to spend $7,000? So they can take those pieces of information and really understand who you are as a person, what your spending patterns are, what's going to be realistic to you and what isn't. How do they get in in the first place? How do they get into those emails? There are several ways. The first we've all heard about is phishing, and that's where you receive an email or a text message um, that wants you to click on a link that tells you that you have some account that's compromised somewhere and they need you to enter your, your email credentials. The second... Um, is by sending you other types of text message or emails, such as from Amazon, things saying, suggesting that maybe you have a package that is out for delivery, but they can't deliver it, or that there's something wrong with your Amazon account. You click on those links, that actually downloads malware, which is a type of software that is used to um, take control of your computer, basically, so that every website you go to Every app you go to, every time you're entering your username and password, it's being recorded in the background for the hackers. How would you know, could you know, if somebody has already hacked into your email account? So you really can't. Um, <laughs> there are no warning signs or alarms within your email account. There are a few signs. So you might um, start seeing emails come through that say, oh, you've recently reset your password. You might receive an email that says, hey, this is the link to reset your password. Um, some of your friends and family might be contacting you and saying, hey, you just sent me a really odd email. What is this all about? Um, there are a few things that look odd, that look out of place. I suggest that to everyone to go and check your sent um, box because that's where you'll actually see. Are there some weird things going out that you don't remember sending? You know, um, that's one of the ways. If you are, say, one of the friends or family members of the person whose account has been compromised or business partner, what it, whatever it may be, are there signs that you can look for that would suggest the person you're communicating with on the other end isn't actually the person you think they are. Absolutely. So those tend to be small nuanced changes in the language being used. We used to associate those types of compromises with really bad grammar, improper word choice, um, no punctuation, things like that. The hackers are way more sophisticated now. So they're using proper English. They are using terminology. They are, you know, using spell check. Everybody's got spell check now, right? Um, so they're using all of those tools to make it look uh, more legitimate. But there are some telltale signs. So whenever you see something with urgency, whenever you see an email or a text message that, you know, we have something we call it the grandparent scam, except it's not really the grandparent scam anymore. It's it's for children, it's for friends, it's for family. It's saying, hey, I need help. I need you to send me money immediately. Don't call my parents. Don't call my wife. Don't call my mother. Um, I always suggest pick up the phone and call them at the number you know that they have. Chances are they're going to answer. They're not in jail. They're not in the hospital. So that urgency, that secrecy, yes. playing on those emotional reactions. Exactly. exactly. One other thing, you know, sometimes we see this a lot with title companies where um, you may receive, you are a expecting to receive wire instructions. You're the day before you're closing, you're getting your final dollar amount from your title company or your attorney, and they're going to send you instructions on where to send this big, this big wire to, right? Um, but maybe those wire instructions change at the last minute. Maybe you receive wire instructions from someone that you haven't been dealing with, but they are still, it appears, 
that they're still from the same title company or the real estate or the um, real estate attorney. Those are just some clues. I always suggest in those cases, always, always, always pick up the phone and call your intended beneficiary and just say, hey, I just got these instructions. Are these correct? Hopefully you catch it at that point and exactly what you're saying, make that phone call. But if you don't, if you have accidentally sent the money and didn't realize it and you know, the, the real real estate attorney calls you and says, hey, was, you know, haven't, haven't seen that wire we were looking for and you did send a wire, what do you do? So the first thing is you need to call the financial institution where you sent the wire from, notify them immediately. Timing here is critical. I don't want to give anybody false hope that we can easily recall wires or ACH transactions, but we do have some tools at our disposal to be able to quickly and swiftly get back money if if it's within a certain window. And that really that time period really depends on who the wire is going to, what time of day it was sent. Um, but we do have those tools. Timing's critical. Call your financial advisor, call your banker, whoever it is who sent that wire for you, let them know immediately. Then we can start talking about putting ID theft alerts on all of your accounts, um, putting credit freezes on your credit report, things like that. If your email account has been the one that's been compromised, is there a way to make it safe again? Yes, there is. It's not easy. Um, I tell people you need to plan on a solid 40-hour work week uh, to get it accomplished, but there is a way. You know, sometimes a lot of a lot of people choose to instead just create a whole new email account. I recognize that that's not really possible for a lot of people. You know, my husband, for one, has an email account that he has had since 1998, um, and he does not want to give it up, and I understand completely. But at the same time, you have to take steps to make it safe. One of those is change the password, run an antivirus scan. Um, you're going to need to just look through all of your folders, Make sure there are no rules that have been created to maybe send any new emails to the fraudster um, so that then they could just start the whole process all over again. Are there proactive steps that a person can take to guard against this potentially happening? I would say yes. Changing passwords is number one. Um, being mindful of what is in your inbox, what is coming, what is going, paying attention to the senders of emails that you're receiving, trying to make sure that those email address haven't been spoofed, which is basically, I know that that's a term that we use here in the industry, but what it means is that someone takes a legitimate email address and makes it appear to come from the person that you know, except it's really not. They've changed one one letter or one number in the domain. We've talked at length about email compromises, but I also want to make sure we cover some general scam prevention tips for all of our listeners and reminders for us as well. Can you share just a couple of basic tips when it comes to, let's start maybe on the, the cybersecurity, the internet fraud side first. So I'm glad that you brought that up because there's one thing that I definitely wanted to touch on, and that is the tech support scams. We see these very frequently, and they tie in with email compromise in two different ways on the front end and on the back end. So you may have already received one of these calls where it's Microsoft. They're calling you to tell you they've detected something wrong with your Microsoft account or with your email account or with your computer. Uh, so we've also seen it with people impersonating Amazon employees and, and other companies, Apple, things like that. They indicate that there is, a, is an issue that they need 
to remote in to fix. What that means is that they're going to send you a link, you're going to click on it, and you're going to say, yes, I'm going to allow this person that I've never met before or even know who they are to remotely access my computer. So they will be able to see everything that they that you do. They typically ask you to start with your financial institutions, log into each of them, log into your email accounts, log into all of these different accounts, all under the guise that they're helping prevent fraud when really they're just taking all of those pieces of information and they're going to use it later to steal your money. That's rather twisted to, to claim to be preventing against exactly what they're doing right it in is. that moment. It is. And I'll tell everyone, if you get a call like this, if, and again, they are very, very sophisticated. They use all the right terminology. They use all the right words. They are so convincing. Uh, we have seen some instances where some of them are almost strong arming um, people that are on the phone with them. But hang up, hang up and call Microsoft, you know, the real Microsoft, call the real Amazon, call your call your trusted contact, call your friends, call your family, um, call your advisor. Uh, we're more than happy to help you determine if that was a legitimate uh, call. Let's talk about some of the verification codes and how sometimes that can be used to lead people astray because we're all we've all largely heard the advice that two-factor authentication is a really valuable step to help prevent against fraud but it can also be used against you if you're sending those verification codes to people that shouldn't have them exactly and it's very confusing right it it makes you say oh my gosh what am i doing how does this work so Two-factor authentication is really key in helping to protect your information and and really to add a second layer within all of your accounts online and, and different apps that you may have on your devices. What can happen is that fraudsters will call you. Let's say let's let's take it back to the to the to the fraudster that's remoted into your computer, right? And they they see that you have an account with Chase and you have logged in with them. Except when you logged in from your device, Chase recognized it. And so maybe they didn't go to the second level of verification for you because everything was right when you were logging in from your computer. When the fraudster takes those login credentials and tries to log in from wherever they're at, whether it's Belarus or Nigeria, um, <laughs> Chase is going to recognize through a multitude of tools that they use to help prevent fraud that that login is not really associated with the client or the owner of that account. And so they're going to step up their verification process. They're going to say, whoa, 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 you don't look familiar to us. We're going to send you a verification code, and you're going to have to enter that before we allow you to take the next steps in your account. I know that we've all probably received these, right? But those codes are only intended to be sent to you and used directly by you. No one is ever going to call you for that verification code. If someone does, it means they are trying to break into your accounts. Do not give those codes to anyone, ever. Let's talk about some tips for other types of scams that aren't always cyber-centric. There's, of, of course, you know, due attention given to mm -hmm. the internet crime side of things, but there are also scammers out there making money in what might be, you know, termed the good old fashioned way, but it's not good at all. What can you tell us about that? So we see lots of different types of scams. Um, I mentioned the the grandparent scam, which I despise that name because it's not really 
for grandparents, it's for anyone that has loved ones. Um, there's romance scams. Those are very, very difficult. Uh, we all want to believe that the person that we have feelings for uh, is is true and reciprocates those to us. However, we see a lot of romance scams. Typically, the hallmarks of those are someone is in a foreign country. You have not been able to see them. They cannot FaceTime you or video chat with you. Um, they claim that they need money in order to get back to this country. If you are involved with anyone like that, we recognize it's very difficult to think the worst of them <laughs> um, or to even question them, but you can always call your advisor, call your trusted contacts, check with them, see what they think. Um, we also see lots of scams involving purchases, so things that maybe you have listed for sale online. Um, we see scams with attempts to rent vacation homes through VRBO or Airbnb. Not that either of those organizations are involved with, with the scam or the fraud at all. I want to be very clear about that. But what happens is imposter fraudsters will impersonate homeowners and um, steal your money that way. And I think probably some of the, the classic reminders that we've heard before, but probably still apply here. Don't pay for things that you don't remember buying. Don't click on links that look suspicious. Don't give information over the phone if you're not sure. I mean, it, we've all probably heard those echoed like a chorus, but they yeah. all still really apply. They really do. And I tell people, you know, fraud has evolved so much in the last five years, and we expect it to really kind of explode within the next five, um, just because of all the technology that is now available. But those same, you know, suggestions of keeping yourself safe, those still work. And that's because... All of the fraud typologies remain the same. Fraud itself doesn't change. Their goal is always to steal your money. It's just the way that they're doing it. And through technology, we already know clicking on links, giving your passwords away, allowing someone to remote in. We already know that that's, that's the gateway. Email compromise, that's the gateway. That opens fraudsters up to a, a smorgasbord of potential fraud and scams. We touched on it briefly, but I want to make sure we really reiterate it for our listeners. If you have fallen victim to any type of scam that we've mentioned either in our conversation today or any other type, what action do you need to take? What do you need to get started with right away? Contact your financial institution. That should be your very first call. Um, your second call or online should be to contact your credit reporting agencies, let them know they can put a freeze on your accounts. You should run antivirus software, keep it up to date, change your passwords. And then of course, notify or use that ic3.gov and the identitytheft.org to report the incidents. Those are really, really important. A lot of people we know, I mean, the numbers that you quoted, Paige, are huge, right? But we truly believe that's only maybe one third of the actual fraud that's occurring in this country. And that is because so many people are hesitant to report it. It it's is embarrassing. It is embarrassing. It's, it's hard to admit. It's hard to reconcile within yourself. But you have to report it. It's the only way that our federal government understands the the true expanse of the fraud that we're experiencing, and then can allocate resources and budget dollars 
to help fighting it. It's the only way we're going to get, you know, special crime finding units to to start really looking at our internet traffic and, and looking at this type of fraud and how do we prevent this? What can we do in our banking um, industry to help prevent this? What can we do in the brokerage industry? Because Raymond James, we're going to do everything we can to help protect clients. But we can't protect you outside of outside of our walls. Um, so there has to be a way that we all have to come together, get all of those pieces of information. It's a giant puzzle. We got to put it together. And then we have to start fighting it. And the way to do that is through the federal government. One closing question for you, and we're so appreciative for your perspective on this topic. If our listeners take away one step, they turn off this podcast, they're ready to do one thing. What do you recommend? I think I've said it 70 times, <laughs> change your passwords. <laughs> it is really the one thing that you can do that is easy, simple, set a reminder on your calendar. If you have a paper calendar, pencil it in every six months. If you have it on your phone or on your on your computer, put it on your calendar there. But just change your passwords and change your passwords for every single online account or application that you use. Listeners, we know you can do it. Change those passwords. Start now. Krista Farr, Raymond James Director of Anti-Money Laundering and Financial Crimes Management. Thank you so much again for your time today. Oh, you're very welcome, Paige. Thanks for having me. Listeners, thanks for tuning in. You can find more episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and RaymondJames.com. So be sure to subscribe. For what it's worth, I'll see you next time. All opinions and information, including any price references or market forecasts, correspond to the recording date listed in this episode's description. Any performance figures noted do not include fees or charges, which would reduce an investor's returns. The information contained in this podcast is not research, nor does it constitute the provision of any investment, financial, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or recommendations to the listener. Raymond James and its financial advisors do not provide tax or legal advice, and you should discuss any tax or legal matters with the appropriate professional. Past performance is not an indication of future results. There is no assurance any investment strategy will be successful. Investing involves risk, and investors may incur a profit or a loss. Investment products are not deposits, not FDIC-NCUA insured, not insured by any government agency, not bank guaranteed, subject to risk and may lose value. Copyright 2020 Raymond James & Associates, Inc. Member New York Stock Exchange, SIPC. Copyright 2020 Raymond James Financial Services, Inc. Member FINRA, SIPC. Raymond James & Associates, Inc. and Raymond James Financial Services, Inc. are affiliates of Raymond James Bank.